Amen. You may be seated. And while you're being seated, if you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Beginning at verse 31. Romans 8, 31. And when you get there, if you could just bow with me in prayer. Romans 8, 31. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I wasn't going to go all the way from Jack. I, I kind of realized, oh, well, well yeah, that's going to be a little rough. That's going to be a little rough. All right, let's pray. <laughs> God, we just thank you, Lord God, for today. Today is a day, God, that you have made. Whatever the making of it is for each one of us, today is a day, God, that you have made. Grant us the grace, God, to rejoice in it. And God, I just pray, Lord God, wherever we find ourselves today, that God, we will be able, Lord, to rejoice in you. God, we are about to engage in the proclamation of your word. And God, we do stand on the promise, as my brother prayed for me this morning, that it will not return void. And so, God, we pray right now that it would have an impact that is supernatural on every single individual under the sound of your voice today. That, God, you would do, Lord God, things in us that can only point us to you. So we come against any and every evil force that is arrayed against us. We come against the worldly ideas that inhabit our minds, the fleshly desires that drive us, and the demonic forces arrayed against us. And we command every evil force, you have no place here. Based on the authority that belongs to us in the heavens, we just command right now that you leave this place. We come against any assignment, any strategy, and we cancel it in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and camp your angels and allow for us to engage in your Holy Spirit. Do this not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, we pray. And everybody said, amen. My wife and I, last week, we, we celebrated 25 years of marriage. And yes, amen, amen, amen. And we went on a trip. We hadn't gone on a trip probably for the past seven years just together. And it was a wonderful time for us to just be in a place where we could actually look at one another. Uh, you never realize how much you just don't see one another because you're so enamored with everything and everybody else around you. So to be able to get that time was wonderful. Well, during that time, my nephew, he sent me a, uh, a text while we were on the road in Kentucky. And he shared with me how his girlfriend had just been in a traumatic car accident and that she was fighting for her life. It was a head-on collision with three others in the car. And as we began to pray and as the story began to unfold and as she found herself in critical condition, praise the Lord, that she did not lose her life. But presently as we speak, she is paralyzed from the waist down. In a moment, her entire life turned upside down. And as my nephew just began to reel, trying to find himself as he found himself spiraling, 
The question that came to mind, and I'm sure the question that came to him, to that young girl and her family is, how can God be for me in all of this? Have you ever felt like God was against you? That situations in your life aren't getting better, but they're actually getting worse. That maybe you haven't gone so far as to believe that God is against you, but, but in this certain situation, at least as felt as if he is absent. It just doesn't feel like God is really, if anything, maybe for you. Maybe the, the situation that you found yourself like this young lady, it just kind of overwhelms you. In the situation that you find yourself, it can find you just feeling like your faith is being pressed down upon. It's something we all have experienced. It's something that every single individual under the sound of my voice is in some way perhaps experiencing. And if you're not, then you will on this side of your life with Jesus before we step into eternity. And so the question that I have for us this morning is, how can you know that God is for you in the face of your most formidable foes, sin and suffering? Now, if anybody understands that question and what that feels like, to know if, if God is for you and not against you, it would be the Apostle Paul. And so he, in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, he addresses this raw, real reality. In verses 31 through, through 34, he actually asks a question in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In verses 31 through 34, he's asking, is God still for me in the face of my sin? Verses 31 through 34. And then in verses 35 through 39, is God for me in my hardships and the difficulties that I face? That's how the text is broken up. And so what I want to focus on this morning is verses 35 through 39. How can you know that God is for you in your hardships, your difficulties? Can, can you truly experience victory in the adversities of your life and how? Well, he begins in verse 35 and it reads, Who shall separate us from the love of God, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. You see, Paul just gives us a list of difficulties. And this is a list that he's saying calls into question God's love, or at least it can. And if you really peer closely at this list, these seven things that, that Paul articulates here, it's one that Paul writes actually from intimate experience. You see, this list, all these seven things in verse 35, sound very similar to Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians 11. In verse 23 to 28, he begins to enumerate his verse 35, Romans 8, 35 difficulties. For greater labors, for more imprisonments, for countless beatings, and, and often near death, 
He says five times, I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Are you feeling this, brother? In toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, the daily pressure of me with respect to my anxiety for all the churches. You see, if there's anyone who could find themselves asking the verse 31 question, what shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? Is God really for me? See, I don't know if you can, but I'm sure you can. You can probably identify in some way with Paul and his plight. It's during times like I described with Paul that we find ourselves questioning God's love. I want to ask you this morning, where is your shipwreck? I'm going to ask you right now, what are the dangers that are lurking around your corners? What is the right now where you find yourself causing for you to have sleepless nights? Where are your anxieties like Paul's running the deepest? What is the evidence in your life? That is pointing to you right now to the fact that you could really in some way say, I just don't know if God is loving me right now. God, are you really for me in this? Now, maybe you don't ask that question out loud. Maybe you won't admit to say, ah, God is not for me. But maybe as you look at and survey your life, your actions may reveal that your heart is indeed in some ways there, right? It's the choosing to distance yourself from his presence because things just aren't where you'd like for them to be. It's because you really don't trust that where you are right now, that God is for you. Maybe you're not just, maybe you're not just praying like you used to. Maybe you're not going on those walks engaging with the Lord. Maybe you're not in your car singing worship songs like you once did. Maybe you're distancing yourself from his ways. Because in some ways you look around at your situation and you just, you just are convinced, how can God be for me in this way? And so there's a chasm that is being created in your intimacy with him. You see, it doesn't have to be a shipwreck to get you there. It doesn't have to be stonings or starving. It can be the hardships of marriage. It can be the hardships of parenting. Any hardship parents out there right now? It can be the issues with toddlers and newborns that can make you feel in so many ways like you're just alone in it. It can be the financial pressures that keep weighing in. It can be those ambitions. You know, we all have those ambitions, right? Those ambitions that for some reason are not coming into the fruition that we are desiring for because we just don't feel like God is for us in those things. The wayward child, the illness, 
the toxic relationship. My teenagers in the house, you just started a new semester. Maybe your shipwreck is just the fact that you started a new school year. New friends, new teachers, more assignments, new classes. Maybe your shipwreck like Paul was the fact that you're just trying to, trying to figure out how to fit in in this sea of all of these teenagers. And you just don't know where you fit. And you feel like God has maybe dumped you into this pool, this cesspool of, of peer challenges that, that you just don't know how to get out of. Or maybe it's the stones that are thrown at you from the hurtful things that the people at school say to you. And so all of us, whether we find ourselves here, there, or whatever, we can, we can find ourselves asking the question, God, where are you in all of this? And sometimes, if, 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 unless it's just me, sometimes it may even feel like God is orchestrating the situations in your life to make them more miserable for you. And I've even talked to people at times that say, you know what? I really think God is punishing me because of the things that I've done present or things I've done in my past. And now God is giving me payback. Well, Paul not only brings this reality of the fact that we all have these difficulties that can cause us to question God's love, he, he doubles down on the reality of these hardships and the fact that these are the lot of every single Christian and believer. As he says in verse 36, as it is written, and then he quotes the psalm, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, Paul here cites Psalm 44, verse 22. And Paul here is basically summarizing verse 35. He's giving a picture of how verse 35 can make you actually feel. He brings us into the emotions of verse 35. And what he says is it feels like sometimes with all the difficulties and hardships that God's just killing me all day long. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like, man, God, you're just killing me right now. You ever feel like, man, I, I just don't feel like I can catch a break. The arrows keep coming from my friends, from my colleagues, for the ones that hurt me most are, are the people that are closest to me. It's always something, but then when I need it to be something, it feels like, God, that it's always nothing. And what makes this even more so discouraging for the psalmist here? is that he's, it's saying that he's among the faithful. If you read the rest of the psalm in verse 17 and 18, and I always encourage that, whenever a, an Old Testament you know, passage is cited, go back and see the context. What makes us even more proud is that in, in Psalm 44, verse 17, it says, all of this has come upon us. Feel the psalmist's emotions. Though we have not forgotten you, he's talking to the Lord, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. In other words, they're saying, the psalmist is saying, we are the ones who haven't bowed our knee to Baal. We're the ones who are still faithfully following you, Yahweh. And what do we get in return? 
we get verse 19. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and have covered us with the shadow of death. This is why I love the Psalms, because they're real. The psalmist is saying, I've faithfully followed you. I haven't turned my back from you. I'm following your ways. And yet this is what you give me, God? You give me jackals? You give me the shadow of death? Have you ever felt that way? You've remained faithful. And yet it feels like God has given you stones instead of bread. I was in my car not too long ago. Crying out Psalm 44 in my own despair. And it was very hard for me to step into that because, again, our God is holy. And sometimes I feel like I can't be in that place because it'll disrespect him. And yes, the weight of the holiness of God should always be on us. But it's the grace of God that allows us to come before his throne and be where we are in love. And I remember telling the Lord in that moment, I just told him, I said, God, I just want to be honest with you. I followed you for the past three decades of my life. I've served your church. I followed after your ways. Yet, God, I'm just going to be honest with you right now. It feels, it feels like the wicked get better treatment than the righteous. Where's my victory, Lord? Why am I continuously losing? Are you really for me? I know you say it, but it just doesn't feel like it. Not with all the challenges and difficulties that surround me. Honestly, it's hard for me to see your love right now. That's why I love the psalmist. Because we can be there in Jesus. In fact, he invites us into that. I want to ask you what's on your Romans 835 list. You know it right now. The thing that's causing you right now to just, in subtle ways or very profound ones, wonder, where is the love of God in this for me? And so now the question, how can you know God is for you in your hardships, difficulties, and circumstances? Can we truly experience victory in our adversities? And how? Well, Romans 8, 37 through 39 is the gospel answer to verses 35 and 36. Verse 37. No. 
In all these things, we, we are more than conquerors. Everybody say more. Through him who loved us. Now in verse 37 in the Greek, there's, it's actually, it's actually a, a but there. And the but connects the reader back to verse 35. And Paul, right off the jump, he assumes a negative answer to the question. Is, if God is for me, who, who, can, be, can God really, is he for me or is he against me? And Paul is saying, but. And then he says, in all these things, that's verse 35, the whole list In all these things, that's verse 36, the summary description of all of the troubles, the fact that you might feel like you're being killed all the day long. He's saying in all these things, verse 37, no, in all these things. So first the answer is no. Your Romans 8.35 hardships do not separate you from his love. God's love for you is in no way evidence of the hardships that you find yourself in right now. Now, Paul could have just, he could have just stated that truth, encouraged us to believe in it, and move on. But watch this. Paul doesn't end there with just the no. He ups the ante. He adds a layer. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Everybody say conquerors. Through him who loved us. Not only is it a no, but on top of the no, the next layer is you're a conqueror. What does this mean that you're a conqueror when it comes to your verse 35 difficulties? It means first that no hardship can conquer his love in the midst of your hardships. That the devil, your flesh, wants you to believe that you are lost, that you have lost, that you have lost the very thing that is most precious to you, namely the very love of God. That although it feels like his love has abandoned you, the truth is, Lamentations chapter 3, the love of the Lord never, everybody say never, It never ceases. Slow down. Feel that. I know we know that verse. We say it it so quickly that we don't rest on it. It says that his love never, if I say never, ceases. And you got to understand the context of when God said that. You know when God said that? He said that when Israel was standing in the midst of of the very rubble of Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been totally toe up and broke down. The very essence of the communication of the reality of the presence of God exhibited in the city of Jerusalem was down in dust. And not only that, he says this in the midst of the place where God had actually moved in such a way that the people were starving. So you got total decimation, total starvation, and let's add to that the fact that captivity was right around the corner. And God says to Israel, in the midst of all of that, my love never ceases. 
You see, God is declaring that even this cannot defeat my love. It's a love that has no limit, a love that cannot be stopped. There's no obstacle or boundary that can stand in its way. Just because you don't see it, just because you can't feel it, the very nature of his love for his children doesn't shift with the sands of time. It's always and constantly running in the background like a leaky faucet. It's always in the background ready to break forth in due time, which means that you are a conqueror. Which means, even though you can't see it or feel it, there is a victory in the midst of your rubble that is present and on display that belongs to you in his love, regardless of what verse 35 troubles are on your plate. But here's the sick part about it. Paul just doesn't say no in verse 37. He doesn't just say you're a conqueror in verse 37. No, he adds another layer. You see Paul stacking right now. Can you, can you maybe guess what the other layer is in verse 37? More. Oh, no, no, no. He could have just stopped that no and moved on. He could have just stopped that no, you're a conqueror and moved on. But no, he then antes it up even further, and he adds a prefix to the Greek word, and he puts it, it's huper, which is where we get our word hyper. In other words, he then says, you're not just a conqueror, you're a hyper conqueror. You're a super duper fragilistic conqueror, expialidocious conqueror. You conquering on top of conquering. What does it mean then for you to be a hyper-conqueror? I mean, it almost, if you think about it and you pause, it kind of even doesn't make sense. A conqueror is a conqueror. How can you be more than a conqueror? You're either a conqueror or you're not. I like the way John Piper points out this biblical illustration. And he points it out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. This is what it looks like to be more than a conqueror. I'm up here sweating you. I'm going to grab. getting a little too excited. All right, here we go. Y'all ready? Here's an illustration of what it is to be more than a conqueror. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this light momentary affliction. There's your Romans 8, 35. Where are your afflictions? You got them is preparing, another word, it's affecting, the light momentary affliction is working, the light momentary affliction is bringing about for us and a what? Eternal weight of what? Glory beyond all comparison. So here what we could say. Affliction, if we could personify it, is the attacking enemy, Right? That's, that's the enemy you got to conquer, affliction. Now, what has happened in Paul's conflict in this text? Not only has his afflictions not separated him from the love of Christ, but even more, it has taken them captive and used them for his benefit. The afflictions that were the former enemies are now working for Paul. 
the afflictions, the enemy isn't just conquered and dead. It's actually now serving Paul in process of gaining now eternal glory through it. You see, he has not only conquered his enemy, he is more than a conqueror. Because see, a conqueror, watch, nullifies the very power of his enemy, right? You conquer when you nullify the enemy's power. But somebody who is more than a conqueror makes the enemy then now serve his own purposes. A conqueror strikes down his foes, but one who is more than a conqueror makes his foes his servant. A conqueror puts his foot on the neck of his enemy and destroys and kills them, but more than a conqueror makes the enemy rise up from the dead and work for him. In Jesus, what Romans 8.37 is telling us is that God not only slays our verse 35, he then tells our verse 35, get up and work for my child right now. You see, that brings us back to Romans 8.28. All things, what do they do? They work. They work. God hasn't just subjected all things for you in Jesus. He then makes them be subject to you for the working of your good. They work. And here's the sick part about it. Romans 8.28 says all things. You know what that means? That means even your failures. Hmm. Come on now. Now, this is some crazy stuff. Because you know what failures and sin is supposed to do? It's supposed to destroy you. It's supposed to send you into destruction. But what Paul is saying is in Jesus, he reversed it all. Oh, we've seen God do this, have we not? In the midst of failure and sin, it's a familiar story, Joseph. What, you know one of the reasons why Joseph was in that pit? Because he was a pride, arrogant little punk. For real, if that was my little brother, I would have put his behind in a pit too. So, you know, sometimes we got our eyes on the brothers, right? Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that. Man, please. Have you ever looked at Joseph? Yeah, you kind of contributed to that, homie. His pride and arrogance got him into a pit, Potiphar in prison. And God was working all of his sin of pride and arrogance. And what did he start to work in Joseph? Humility. The God grace that he needed to do where God had him eventually to to end up to actually learn how to manage a household named Potiphar so he gained some skills. You see, when he was in that prison, God used that and worked that prison to teach him what it looks like to hear from the Lord. You see, he had to be there so he could learn what it meant to trust in God and when God felt like he was nowhere to be found. You see, God took pride and arrogance to work the good of an entire nation through that man. God took the sin, not only that came out of Joseph, but in that same story, he took the sin that was brought against Joseph in the same way. His brothers were full of what kind of sin? Jealousy and anger. They attempted to murder and enslave. Now, you look at a situation like that, you're like, that's all bad news. That's not going to end well. 
Not when you got Jesus involved. Not when God is at the helm. Not when you belong to him. And God worked that very issue. The very sin of Joseph's brothers. You know what it brought about? It brought about eventual provision for them in a land of famine. Come on, God. They don't deserve that, homie. Are you serious? They tried to kill this dude. Their own brother threw him in a pit, enslaved him, and you give them food? God loves you so much that even your failures won't stand in the way of him working through them for your benefit. You see, the gospel in a sentence is the good news that God, of all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. All that God is for us in Christ Jesus. And here we see in Romans 8, 37, one sliver of the wonder of the gospel. That in Christ Jesus, when it comes to the verse 35s in our lives, not only are they not evidence that he's not loving us, that in Christ Jesus, not only is it a no that your distresses defeat God's love for you, you aren't being punished for your past mistakes, forgotten by God because he lost track of your situation. He hasn't gotten overrun by the bad actors in your life or the devils that are trying to plot against you. To the contrary, the good news is not only that God's love is still intact and on display in your challenges, in all these things, you are not just a conqueror, you are a hyper-conqueror. In Jesus, God slays the verse 35 list, and then he tells them to get up and work for you. Like James Brown, he tells the marital struggles to get on up. He tells the financial woes to get on up. He tells the sickness and disease to get on up. He tells the hurtful words to get on up. He tells the challenges at school with your friends to get on up. He tells the deepest sins and failures to get on up. He tells the toxic relationships to get on up. He tells whatever is your verse 35 list to get on up and get on the scene. I can't finish the rest of that because that's not appropriate. (laughs) And do what I've called it to do for the purpose of my child. Talk about a turnaround. We go from verse 35, God, you must be against us. Verse 36, you killing me all day long. To not only is he not against me, not only is he not punishing me, not only has he not forgotten me, but in Jesus, he's given me a new name. Hyper conqueror is your identity in Jesus. You know, it must drive Satan crazy. You got to think about that. It must drive the devil nuts. Because every time he's plotting and planning something in your life, it always turns for good. I mean, you got to get tired after a little while, don't you think? You think he would just be give up. Because you don't win, homie. In Jesus, it's always victory for those in him. And all you are, devil, is a lackey for God to get more good into his children. That must be maddening. And then Paul says, 
After all that, I'm going to ask you, are you guys persuaded that God loves you already? Okay, well, Paul's not done. He wants to nail it in. And he says in verse 38, if you're still not persuaded, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. (laughs) Paul says, if you think verse 35 separates you, if you think verse 36 is God's posture toward you, I need you to know that life and death, very existence cannot stand in the way of my love. If you think verse 35 separates you, the very beings behind the veil of existence can't come between you and my love. If you think 35, verse 35 separates you, if you think the distresses in your life mean that my love has hit the door, Let me tell you and take you beyond consciousness, beyond tangibility. Let me take you into the category of chronology. The very essence of time, present, and future cannot douse the flame of my love. What about powers? There is nothing powerful enough, that natural enough, that supernatural enough, that can even make my love flinch. If you're still not convinced, he says... Let me just take you into the heights and the depths. In other words, in our vernacular, 21st century, let me take you into the multiverse. I'm going to take you into the things that are above heaven, and I'm going to take you into the things that are beneath the earth. In other words, he's saying there's no alternate reality that can alter my love for you in Jesus. So he breaks it down. He says there's no reality, there's no living entity, there's no chronology, there's no supremacy, and there's no no locality. And just in case I miss something, verse 39, anything else in all creation. Let me just make sure I just saw all it up. Did I miss something? If I did, I'm just all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here's what's so profound about all of that reality in the text. Is that the center of all of that that can be gained for you is in Jesus. You can't have that outside of Jesus. Everything that I'm telling you right now will lead to destruction in your verse 35 if Jesus isn't at the center. If he isn't at the core of the very existence of where you inhabit, if you haven't put in your faith, trust, that he isn't your Lord, Savior, and treasure, then this isn't for you. But in Jesus, all of it belongs to you. How can you know that God is for you in your hardships, in your difficulties, in your circumstances? The way you can know is because 
in Jesus, you have a new name. You know what that name is? Victory. It's always victory for you. And I planned on preaching this message because we were supposed to have a picnic at Victory Park. But it kind of feels like the rain defeated it. But even in the rain, our name is still what? Victory. And I want us to remember, and I think that is a, I don't think that's by coincidence, honestly. Because see, this building that we find ourselves in is a testimony of his victory. And I want to encourage us, every time we go across the street, whether it's to go play with our kids, to go sit on a bench and just fellowship with a brother or sister, to have a picnic together at a church. Whenever we say Victory Park, I want you to remember Romans chapter 8, verse 37. I want that always to be a constant memorial and a reminder to you that where you find yourself, God is telling you when we say, let's go to Victory Park, that you're more than a conqueror. That God is for you and not against you. And that he's loving you in far greater ways than you can imagine or hope. And right now you might be living in Romans 8.35 kind of place. I get it. You might be feeling like, man, God, you are killing me all day long. You might be saying, Pastor Ray, if you only knew what I was going through, you wouldn't say that God is loving me right now. But I want to remind you, What verse 37 is telling you is that only is God for you in your reign. Victory is your new name. So declare it right now who you already are in him. So I want you to take some time right now before the Lord. I want you to take whatever your verse 35's are. Whatever is on that list of of difficulties and hardships that could challenge, maybe you're not there now, but they could challenge. If they just were to tip the scale a little bit, you might find yourself saying, God, I don't think you're loving me right now. And I want you to be first honest with the Lord. I want you to take your raw emotions. I want you to take a Psalm 44 emotion before the Lord. And then secondarily, I want you to pray, God, will you help my unbelief? And then thirdly, I want you to declare, and I want you to say it out loud to the Lord. God, even though I'm having a hard time believing this right now, my name is victory. So let's just take some time to go before the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your mind and in your heart.
God that is a throne of grace and not a throne of condemnation. One where we are fully known by you and fully loved in Jesus. God, will you let the reality of your love pour over our minds and our hearts right now. In the spaces where we're having a hard time receiving it, a hard time believing it, God, will you break through by the power of your Holy Spirit and intercede for us that that reality might land at the very root. In all of our verse 35s, yes, God, will you please root us and ground us right now in your love. And remind us that right where we are, we are closer than you to you than our very breath. Because nothing can separate us from your love. In Jesus' name.